Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. This is the podcast where I spend a little time talking about what I have been reading lately. This time, it's a book I checked out from the library. Please be prepared for spoilers. Happy New Year, everybody! We're out of 2020 and on to 2021. My year has started off well so far, and I'm excited to talk about more books with you. I read 55 books total in 2020, and I set myself a goal of reading 50 this year. We'll see how it goes. Today we are covering another mystery novel. Last time I did a mystery novel, it was The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Your Home, and I split it into two episodes so that I could discuss all of the mystery full of spoilers and give people a chance, if they didn't want to know everything, to just listen to one part and not both. This time I thought about doing that, but I decided to keep this in one episode because it is so convoluted and weird that I wasn't sure I could split it up and have a coherent episode. So this mystery is full spoilers ahead. Today we are talking about Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency by Douglas Adams. Here is the summary. What do a dead cat, a computer whiz kid, an electric monk who believes the world is pink, quantum mechanics, a chronologist over 200 years old, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, poet, and pizza have in common? Uh, apparently not much, until Dirk Gently, self-styled private investigator, sets out to prove the fundamental interconnectedness of all things by solving a mysterious murder, assisting a mysterious professor, unraveling a mysterious mystery, and eating a lot of pizza. Not to mention saving the entire human race from extinction along the way, at no extra charge. Dirk Gently was published in 1987. I borrowed it from the library, as I said, and read it in October of 2020. Our author, Douglas Adams, was born in 1952 and died in 2001. He's probably best known for writing The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, though he also wrote TV scripts, was an advocate for protecting endangered species, and loved computers. Fans of Adams sometimes celebrate Towel Day on May 25th, commemorating the importance of towels in the Hitchhiker's Guide series. I watched the 2016 Dirk Gently TV show with Elijah Wood before I read this book. The show is very different, but I think it managed to keep the incredibly weird spirit of this book. I've read Douglas Adams before. He certainly has a way with words which is nearly indescribable. He could take some lessons in writing female characters, but so could just about every male author from the 80s and earlier. This is a mystery novel. In case the um, detective agency title didn't clue you in, you almost expect it to unfold like an Agatha Christie. Here is the quintessential British character on his way to a normal event when he witnesses a horrible accident. Adams is nothing if not surprising, though. And really, he's a sci-fi writer at heart. And if you are at all familiar with Adams's work, he is also a humor writer. As I said at the beginning, this was a little difficult to piece together into a coherent podcast episode. I hope it turns out okay. Adams 
in this book leans into the interconnectedness of all things, making describing this book a little bit like putting two and two together and coming up with spaghetti. The book begins with an electric monk on a horse, wandering a wasteland toward a dark tower. The electric monk is technically an appliance. Much like people use dishwashers to wash dishes, the purpose of an electric monk is to believe things for you so that you don't have to. The monk has been wandering for a while without a purpose, and due to an error with its motherboard, it believes anything it thinks of. That leads to some very strange beliefs that this monk has, including that everything it sees is pink, or that just over the next hill there will be a door to another world. After so long spent believing things with no evidence, it comes as a nice surprise to the monk to find that over the next hill there is, in fact, a door to another world. Delighted, the monk on his horse pops through into our world. What, you ask, does this have to do with anything? You may be surprised. I certainly was. We go from a futuristic appliance in an alien wasteland to England, which is a nice place but usually perfectly understandable. Don't worry, it's all connected. It's all going to come together. Despite having top billing, Dirk Gently is not our main point of view character. In fact, Dirk doesn't show up for almost a hundred pages. Instead, we follow the rather hapless Richard Macduff. If you're familiar with Adams's writing, you're familiar with the hapless main character. Events happen to him despite his best efforts. Richard is a computer programmer, doing things like translating data points into music. This is actually something I watched a TED talk about, a blind astronomer who collates her data into sound. I'm going to include that in the show notes because it was a really cool TED talk. There is a lot in this book about computers, and you can tell that they were a special interest of the authors. In the book, Richard is preoccupied with a sofa problem. Somehow, his sofa has gotten stuck in the stairwell. There's no way the sofa should have gotten into the stairwell, let alone stuck where it cannot be maneuvered out. He's behind on quite a few work projects, so in the fine tradition of procrastinators everywhere, he goes to dinner with an old professor at Cambridge. While Richard is at dinner, his boss, Gordon Way, is driving home and is on the phone, leaving a message on his sister Susan's answering machine. Gordon Way is almost like the Elon Musk of this book. And leaving messages is just something he does. When he needs to talk something out, he calls someone and talks to their answering machine. One of his secretary's jobs is to go around and collect the tapes, the answering machine tapes, from people who Gordon has called. In the middle of Gordon's phone call, he gets out of his car to close the trunk properly, leaving the call going. Someone hidden in his trunk shoots him. Hey, it is a murder mystery, after all. This comes as quite a surprise to Gordon Way, who wakes up as a ghost. He tries to finish his phone call, but only manages to hang up. He's so distracted by being dead, poor guy, that he fails to notice someone taking off with his body. 
Meanwhile, Richard's dinner at Cambridge is kind of a dull event. It's livened up only by a reading of Samuel Coleridge's poetry and a magic trick performed by his old professor. Richard and his professor Reg retire for drinks, and they reminisce about Dirk gently. Hey, look, it's our title character. Dirk was a con man during his years at Cambridge, convincing people that he had psychic powers using the simple strategy of denying said psychic powers. Over drinks, the professor starts acting a little weird. He warns he might act unlike himself, and then announces that there is a horse in his bathroom. Now, where have we seen a horse in this story before? There is a horse in the bathroom, but it has nothing to do with the professor acting weird. After meeting the horse, who seems resigned to being stuck in a bathroom, Richard remembers that he meant to bring a date to this dinner and rushes off. He leaves an embarrassing message on his date's answering machine and nearly crashes his car when he sees his boss's ghost out in the middle of the road. Are you keeping track of all this? Remember, this book is about the interconnectedness of all things. Richard's date and Gordon Way's sister Susan are one and the same. Richard decides out of nowhere that the reasonable thing to do in this moment is to break into Susan's flat and steal the tape with his embarrassing message out of the answering machine. You know, because that was a thing that you could do. Richard doesn't know it, but that tape also has Gordon's final phone call on it. In what I would call a classic computer programmer move, he climbs up a wall and into Susan's apartment. Just as he is about to steal the tape, the phone rings. It's his first day as a cat burglar, so he answers it. The phone call is from Dirk Gently, who is a private investigator now, as we know, and he's staked out outside, dealing with a separate matter, and had watched with some amusement as his old friend from Cambridge demonstrated a strange new hobby of breaking and entering. Richard agrees to meet Dirk later, because of course he does, and hangs up just as Susan returns home with her date. Susan had, perfectly reasonably, upon realizing that Richard had forgotten to pick her up, decided to go out with someone else. As the interconnectedness of the universe and this book would have it, her date, Michael, becomes rather important later. But right now, he's just a mildly unpleasant man who neither Susan nor Richard like very much. As they shoo Michael away, Richard realizes with some relief that his strange impulse to steal the answering machine tape has vanished. Later, he meets with Dirk, who tells Richard about Gordon's death and that the police are interested in questioning Richard. But Dirk, despite being an investigator, isn't interested in the murder mystery. He's interested in a mystery that Richard doesn't believe exists. The mystery of... Why Richard decided to climb a building and steal a tape. Dirk believes solving one will solve the other. That's his whole shtick, what makes his investigating holistic rather than run-of-the-mill. He's also extremely interested in the magic trick performed by Richard's professor at the Cambridge dinner. So, holistic detecting involves believing in the interconnectedness of all things. In a way, you as a reader are a holistic detective. When you read a book, you enter it with the knowledge that the seemingly disparate pieces will eventually connect and form a whole picture. It's kind of self-referential. 
If something is in a book, it's probably important to the story, and Dirk knows this. In a way, he's almost a reader of the book in his own right. It reminds me of Discworld, where the characters are genre-savvy. They know a million-to-one chance will work, and if there's a dragon, there will soon be a hero to slay it. In the midst of this murder mystery, rampant with answering machines and conversations about computer programs, it's surprisingly easy to forget about the ghost of Gordon Way and the electric monk who traveled through a randomly appearing door with his horse. Remember that horse? I think it's still stuck in that bathroom. Gordon's ghost is desperately trying to make another phone call, causing cold spots in police cars and accidentally blowing up his own house. The electric monk is looking for his horse and hoping that the person he shot is feeling better. Once the reader knows that the electric monk is what killed Gordon Way, it becomes obvious that Dirk Gently was right. The murder is not the real mystery. The real mystery is, in fact, just what caused Richard to climb a wall to break into Susan's apartment, what is causing Michael, who was Susan's date earlier, to read Coleridge and plot a murder right now. Dirk doesn't know about that, but the reader does. Michael is having a very strange day of poetry and murder. I'm sure that won't come back later. No, it will. Interconnectedness. Remember the interconnectedness. Dirk drags Richard to visit their old professor Reg at Cambridge, convinced that he has figured it out. Or at least he's figured out enough of it to fake his way to the real answer. Dirk is a big believer in fake it till you make it. He just has one question for the professor. How did he do his magic trick at dinner? How did he get a salt shaker from the college into a sealed pot over 200 years old? That's easy, says the professor. I found the person who made the pot and convinced him to seal the salt shaker into it. It's like, every time you think Douglas Adams can't be more ridiculous, he says, hold my beer and ups the ante. The professor has a time machine. In case you couldn't tell, this book actually started life as an episode of Doctor Who. The professor is retired from using his time machine, except for the occasional magic trick. He's been alive for so long that he actually doesn't remember what he's retired from or where he got the time machine, but he's been enjoying his retirement, except for the occasional strange urge he mentioned earlier to act out of character. It's surprisingly similar to the urge Richard felt to climb a wall into Susan's apartment earlier. After being convinced of the reality of the time machine, they're discussing the mystery, these strange urges, when Michael shows up. Turns out he's possessed by a ghost. Not the ghost of Gordon Way, but the ghost of an alien who crash-landed on Earth four billion years ago before anything existed. The ghost has been searching desperately for someone who can take it back in time to correct a small error, one that would prevent its ship from crashing. Well, if that's it, that's easy enough to do. Goodness. They're in the middle of releasing Michael and the ghost into the past, thanks to the time machine. And it's the same landscape that the electric monk came from, with a wasteland and the dark tower, which is actually the crashed alien ship. And it's at this point that Dirk remembers the interconnectedness. 
What if this alien ship crashing was the flashpoint beginning for evolution? What if this crash is what causes life on Earth? Now we're going to take a quick detour into poetry written in the late 1700s slash early 1800s. At their dinner, Professor Reg and Richard heard the poem Kubla Khan written by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. In Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree, where Alf the sacred river ran, through caverns measureless to man, down to a sunless sea. That one. Coleridge wrote the poem after a very strange opium dream. In our history, the poem ends after just 54 lines. Coleridge had planned for it to be nearly 300 lines long, but he was interrupted and couldn't remember the rest of his dream. But in this book, the poem continues and tells a very strange story, which I can't really remember. Needless to say, uh, it was important. Are you still with me on this? It's all connected. Even though I can't remember it very well, so I hope you're still with me. (laughs) The alien ghost had tried in the past to use Coleridge to get the time machine and had in the process inspired Coleridge's poems. Coleridge went to Cambridge, and the time machine has been there for a couple hundred years. The poems act as a guide for the ghost and Michael. They believe they need to destroy all human life. Now, how will Dirk and Richard stop the alien ghost from pulling this off? Well, there is this time machine. They go back in time and interrupt Coleridge in the middle of writing Kubla Khan so that he forgets the rest of the lines he meant to write. What's that? What about paradoxes, I hear you ask? Without Michael and the ghost, Dirk and Richard would not have known to go back and interrupt Coleridge. Our time-traveling professor has some reassuring advice. He tells them, don't worry about it. You're unlikely to cause any worse paradoxes than already exist in the universe. Which is such a delightfully Douglas Adams sentiment. (laughs) Without the poems to lead the way, the ghost will be left to wander, and life will continue. It's a shame for the ghost, but it's a sight better than the end of life on Earth. They wrap up. The electric monk is returned to his proper time and place, and Reg uses the time machine to get Richard back home and even manages to get Richard's sofa unstuck from the stairwell. My final word on Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I spent a lot of this book asking myself what was going on, but I was having so much fun that I didn't really mind. If you like other Douglas Adams books or Terry Pratchett, I, you would like this one. It's a fun, quick read. If you want more media like this, I do recommend the TV show with Elijah Wood in it. Like I said, it's It's not the same storyline at all, but it is very good and very weird. You could also read The Last Continent by Terry Pratchett. And that's it. Join me next time to hear about The Road to Underfall by Mike Jeffries, which is one of the books from my shelf of books that I'm trying to read. So go me. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast comments, questions, if you've read The Road to Underfall and want to tell me about it, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. 
Thank you for spending this time with me. Happy New Year, and I hope to talk with you again soon.